It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. There are a few names in Las Vegas entertainment that remain in the public memory long after they're gone. Think Elvis, Dean, Sammy, and of course, Frank Sinatra. Even today, performers pay tribute to those stars. My guest, impressionist Rick Michael, is paying tribute to Sinatra with his show, Sinatra Forever, with an all-star 12-piece orchestra, Sunday, February 6th at 8 p.m. at the Italian American Club right here in Las Vegas. For ticket information, Go to IACVegas.com, and for everything about Rick Michael, go to RickMichael.com. And Rick, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Ira. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, how old were you when you realized you could do impressions or even singing impressions? Do you remember? You know, my mother made me an album back in 1975, and she had a photo in this album year by year, and, and I didn't know it existed. She took a picture of me with a brownie camera, and on the bottom of a brownie camera, it's, uh, the picture, it's like square, and it has the abbreviation of the month and the year, and it said SEP61. I'm in my flannel pajamas doing Stan Laurel, and I had no idea, but at that time, I was starting to work in the comedy clubs. Or actually, I take that back. I was in college at the Maryland Institute College of Art, and uh, I was going to be a sculpture teacher. And that, that's how I got through high school is in my artwork. And the dean of students said that we, do, we don't have a drama department, but we have this beautiful auditorium. And it reminded me of The Tonight Show. And I looked at it, and I, and I approached him. And I said, listen, can, do you mind if I put on a, a little uh, Jewish Johnny Carson show? So we did. And we sold tickets October 30th, 1972. And it was The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson Steen, Ed McManowitz, and <laughs> Doc Severinstein. And I had a, a, a real band. And I, I, I wrote the uh, Stump the, stump the uh, Band, the, uh, the commercials, going into the audience, all the, all, everything. And it was set up just like The Tonight Show. And everyone said to me after the show, and this is 1972, they said, what are you doing as an artist? You should be an entertainer. You're, you're great. So I get, I didn't even last a full year there. And I left and I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City. And I studied a little bit there. And then I really broke into it in the comedy clubs in the early, in the late seventies, like 78. I went to Mitzi Shore's comedy club in La Jolla and also drove up to Hollywood and did that. And it, it was, you know, five minutes, you drive up two and a half hours from San Diego to, to LA. And if you do well, you're, you're listening to your little tape recorder, you, you feel great. It's a short ride back. But if you bomb, it's a very long, <laughs> long, long ride back. You, but said, you, you know what, I, I, I did impressions. And how I, I learned to do Sinatra, because I used to go up to the chalkboard in junior high school as, as Jerry Lewis, the night professor, John Wayne. I, and I used to make people laugh just, you know, because of the voices that I could do. I spent most of my time in the principal's office. But the bottom line, <laughs> the bottom line is that I, I had that ability to name one entertainer that's not insecure, because that's exactly what it, where it derives from. They want attention. They want to be noticed. 
And so what they do, whatever their background was, they end up trying to make people laugh the best way they can. Mine was doing mimicking different voices. You know, Walter Brennan back in the day, Ed Sullivan, John Wayne, Jerry Lewis. But then when I went to the comedy store, I had all these great voices. I did Cat Stevens. I sang like David Clayton Thomas, you have Blood, Sweat and Tears. And I, I did all these great voices, but I had no material. And that's what's the crucial part of any impressionist is you could have the best sounding voice, but if you don't have the, 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 the monologue to go with it, it's just going to lay there. So I started to develop a little bit more. I actually got my first paying gig in 1980. I was, somebody saw me at the comedy store and it was a producer for one of the um, road shows of Greece. And he was looking for a comic that could sing and and just be funny. And, and I ended up being the mooning champ of Rydell High. My nickname was Rump. And I, I was at the Lyric Dinner Theater in La Mesa, California, doing Grease. And I, I sang and I did lines, comedy and whatnot. And that was really one of my first paying gigs. And then Jeff Kutash, a well-known producer here in Las Vegas, he did Splash for many years at the Riviera. He uh, was doing a cattle call in, in L.A., and he uh, was looking for all kinds of acts. And I went up there, again, drove up to L.A., and I, I waited in line, and I started doing my impressions. He goes, that's great. You have great voices, but can you, can you, do, you got, do you have anything that's funny? So he invited me to Bud Friedman's Improv in L.A., and I'm there. This is crazy. Jeff Kutash going past this audition and Bud Friedman, the head of the improv was there in the audience and they're looking at my voice or hear my voices. And they all said the same thing. You, you got great voices, but your material is really weak. So Kutash decided to say, you know what? This kid's got something. And he put me at the Tropicana in 1981 in the fountain, fountain view theater. Uh, I think it was fountain the fountain theater. theater, right? Yeah. The fountain theater is where they had the buffet. And it was a laser show. I mean, it was really high tech. It was called Hollywood Goes Broadway. And I was the MC, if you will, of the show. Plus, I did my own bit. And 1985, I went up to Lake Tahoe. I was the M MC as well and also did uh, some, a lot of impressions. Jeff Kutash was going to open up a show at Caesar's new cabaret. And he, he said, Rick, would you like to do it? And I'd love to, I mean, I'm going through my whole resume. but No, that's okay. But I have a question regarding American Academy of Dramatic Arts, because Don Rickles yeah. went to that school as well. Oh, God, everybody did. Yeah, all the famous ones. I mean, you, know, you had uh, De Niro and uh, Pacino and, uh, you know, uh, even uh, Robin Williams uh, touched upon it. I mean, you know, all these famous actors. But, yeah, I, I read for them and they said that, yeah, man, you got you got some good acting skills. and. And so I, I, I just took that, just a little bit of schooling that I did there and, and applied it to my entertainment. And um, so, you know what, it's the funny thing about this, Ira, I've been doing it over 40 years. Wow. And people say to you, you know, you know you're, I've, I've paid my dues. Well, guess what? You never stop paying your dues. There's always something that's going to happen to you on stage that has never happened to you before. <laughs> Whether the microphone goes out, somebody has a heart attack in the front row, the, the cocktail waitress drops her, her tray of, of cocktails in the middle of your act. 
I mean, there, there's something that's always going to happen and you have to know how to deal with it. You know, you either ignore it. Uh, I remember one time and you know how hot it gets here in Las Vegas. I was over at uh, one of the hotels and in this, in the, in the heat of summer, and they left the, the, the windows open, these curtains, and it was 116 degrees. And all the heat, no matter how much air conditioning they had, came into the room. And I'm starting up my performance, and, and it, everybody's sweating, and I'm sweating. Now, what do you do with that situation? You close the curtains. Attention. You close the curtains. No. Well, they did that, but it was too late. And the point is, you can, there's so many ways to address certain given situations. I wrote a book about it. It's called Live on Stage, Don't Die, Kill. (laughs) So the point is that you just, there's certain ways, like if the the cocktail waitress drops her drinks and all over the, in the middle of your act, do you, are you aggressive and say, hey, lay that anywhere, uh, you know, or do you just ignore it? Because all the attention goes away from you to that cocktail waitress. Well, guess what? You just got to bring them back to you and do it in 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 a nice way so that, Nobody's embarrassed and life goes on. And that's one thing I've, I, I noticed about doing shows and seeing other entertainers and going to school on other entertainers. And that is you got to be likable. As soon as you hit the boards, as soon as you come out on stage, people got to like you. And it's, the, it's, it's, it's what you look like. It's what you sound like. It's how you appear. And it's, it's all the elements that make you what you are as a performer. And I've seen so many entertainers that are marking their act. And you can tell they're either bored with what they're doing and they're just going through the steps and the motions or they, you know, they're just not they're not having fun with it anymore. To me, I've learned that I've got that same burn that I had back in the comedy store days in the 70s in my stomach to be better, to always learn and recreate myself and improve and go and adapt to the to the times and and that's what i'm doing as a matter of fact i'm writing producing and starring in a show that's going to debut at the tuscany june 9th i can't tell you the title because it's not the the website's not up yet but we'll you'll have me back on your show i hope but it is going to be hysterical it's it's unlike any show that's ever been in vegas and it's going to make a lot of noise so I'm, i'm really excited about that but well, let's let's to, yeah, let's talk a little bit about. You mentioned, from what you told me, I believe your first appearance in, in Las Vegas was at the Tropicana. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. What, uh-huh. what, what were some of your first choices for impressions when you first started? And it, you got some great advice, which is doing impressions is all well and good, but you really have to have the written word. You have to have the script. You have to have that right. material. That's so important. And of course, right. I and mean, then perform it. But it really comes down to, once again, writing. So when you decided you were going to take that advice seriously, and you had a choice of, okay, do I do 30 impressions and write material for all 30? Or do I pick one, two, or three, as I know you've done in the past, and write uh-huh. material for it? How did you narrow your choice as to who it was going to be? And obviously, Frank Sinatra was one of them. Well, Sinatra is, is I, I, and I always say this in my show before I, I perform that I'm not, an, I'm not doing Frank Sinatra. I'm paying homage to the greatest pop singer of all time of the American Songbook. But w- what I do with comedy, as far as choices, like, for instance, you, if you take an impression and you take them out of their normal element 
and you put them in a given situation that they're normally tribute to. Like, for instance, when I, like I'm going to do it at the, uh, the Italian American Club on, on February 6th, the Godfather, because he's Italian. I'm going to slip him in there. I'm going to throw a little Dean Martin in the show and I do Deanisms as well. But the Godfather, if you imagine if he had a stand up comedy club, he would be it would be something like this. And so I go. Oh, good evening. Welcome to Don Corleone's Comedy Club. Uh, our motto is, we hope you die laughing. Uh, so it's like you take that material and then you can go and you can, the Godfather's telling stand-up comedy jokes. And it's, it's, it's great because, you know, and then the thing about today, Ira, about being politically correct, that's so huge. You know, you have to be very careful if you do a gay joke, if you do a Hispanic, uh, if you're targeting Hispanics, if you're tar targeting Asians, you, you, you got to basically be, you can't do Don Rickles act. I mean, nobody can anymore. I mean, it, it, it's so politically incorrect to do something like that. But if you let people know up front, hey, listen, we're just here to have fun. You know, again, if you can't laugh at yourself, laugh at others, have fun, people. Just don't take life so seriously. And and so that's what I do. I get, you know, I do a Polish joke. I get I, I get I get flack after the show. Hey, you know, you should leave that one out. I do a gay joke. But, I'm, you know, you should leave that one out. Well, you know what? Guess what, folks? What, what the hell are we here for? I mean, we're all equal. We're all having fun. You know, let. I do Jewish jokes. I'm Jewish. I mean, you know, hey, a Jewish, I'm doing it Italian. Go figure. You know, so you, you do what you got to do, man. And, and and you try not to offend everybody or anybody. But if you do, you know, that's their problem. You know, in the in the beginning of Absinthe, you ever seen that show with Caesars? They they have a they have a, a disclosure in the front where they they the voiceover says, hey, if you don't like the F word, you know, and he says it then get the F out of here, you know, right. and, and that's, and that's basically saying, Hey, listen, this is the way the show is going to be. And that's what we're going to do with my, my new show. And when I, when I tell jokes in my Sinatra show, Dean Martin, his drunky Dean, you can't, you, you can't go wrong with those jokes. I mean, I had a, my bass player played with Dean Martin for 10 years and he gave me one of the, one of the gems of all gems that Kenny Lane used to do with Dean Martin. Uh, in the beginning, in the middle of the show. And let's explain Kenny, to our audience that Kenny Lane was the pianist for Dean Martin. Yes, and he wrote Everybody Loves Somebody sometime. And uh, he actually, he was Dean uh, Frank Sinatra's piano player before Dean Martin. But the, the joke, the, the quick joke that he does is he says to Dean, he goes, hey, Dean, I got this telegram for you. In the middle of the show, he goes, really? Why didn't you give it to me earlier? He goes, oh, we were in rehearsals and we were busy. He goes, Oh, yeah. And he gives it to me. Who's it from? He goes, it's from your wife. He goes, oh, it's from my wife, Jeannie. Is everything okay? Says, yeah, everything's fine. Just read it. He goes, okay. Says, not getting any better. Come home. Not getting any better. Come home. What's wrong with Jeannie? He goes, and Kenny says, just take your time, read it again, and watch the punctuation. He looks at it. He goes, oh, not getting any better. Come home. <laughs> so, I mean, these are, these are kind of gems that they that were real and you could still do it today so it's it, it's fun to it's fun to share that with a new audience you mentioned dean martin and i know for years you've done an act with dean martin in terms yes. of paying tribute to dean so you're versatile uh -huh. in terms of who you decide to do impressions of did you get a chance to meet 
some of the people that you've done impressions or singing oh my impressions gosh. of? I've got, I've got stories. When, when, in 1989, I was at the Sands Hotel with the Sid and Marty Croft's Comedy Kings, and there was a puppet, 16 puppeteers, and we had all these puppets, four voices, and so many celebrities came to see us. John Viner hosted it for six months, then Mickey Rooney came in, then Sherman Hemsley. But I got to meet, they wanted to look for other hosts for the show. So Jerry Lewis came in, and I, I, do, I did a bit in the show doing Dean and Jerry. And I was more nervous knowing that Jerry Lewis was in the audience doing Dean Martin than I was doing Jerry Lewis. I, I really was. <laughs> I, I, and then at the end of the show, Jerry said to me, Rick, you should have done more of me. I go, oh, great. Thanks, Jerry. Um, Rodney Dangerfield came to the show, but I knew Rodney b- b- before then back in Atlantic City. We used to hang out and, on the boardwalk and, you know, he used to try to get a, uh, a lady of the evening. Hey, come on, give me some respect, will you? Come on, girl, <laughs> give it up for me, will you? And uh, so, um, I, Rodney, uh, I did Rodney in the show. Bill Cosby, I did Bill in the show. As a matter of fact, I, I did a Christmas thing uh, in one of these strip malls, and uh, Bill Cosby was sitting right next to me as I'm doing him with the puppet. And that was kind of weird. But I've done. I, I met Cheech and Chong. I did both of their voices together. Would I be correct though that that most of the people that you do impressions of, whether it was you or another impressionist, would be complimented by the fact that someone's doing impressions of? Them? Oh, absolutely! Oh my God, David Brenner never heard anybody do David Brenner. This is David Brenner. You're ready for this? This is a good one. You're going to love this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's a hard one to do. I know. I I, I work with David, and so yeah, that's yeah. an unusual voice. This is a good, grab. You, you're going to love this one. This is really good. <laughs> You know, anyway. So tell us about uh, when you when you were putting together this tribute to Sinatra, which you're obviously not just doing in Las Vegas, but you're also going to be doing it elsewhere as well. uh And again, just as a reminder for people, it's going to be on February 6th at 8 p.m. at the Italian American Club here in Las Vegas. It's a 12 piece orchestra. And, you know, a lot of impressionists. uh, Let's see if I can phrase this right. It, It the easy way would be to go and do an impression with a track. You're coming in with a live orchestra. So there's, that's an extra expense, but it's a dedication to the quality of what you want to do. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, what's fun about this, Ira, is that I played with, I'd say 75% of these musicians. I, and it's basically like a carny and he says, Hey Rube, everybody comes running and people are just wanting to come because they know that I take care of my musicians. I make sure they have water. I take, make sure they get fed. I I pay them well enough. And so it's a joy because I respect the musicians. I don't look at them as, you know, I'm an equal to them. They are an equal to me. It, we're on the same plane. I'm just blend in. And I've got, I got musicians that have played with the McGuire sisters, uh, Harry James, Elvis Presley, Sinatra, even, uh, even Lady Gaga. Uh, I mean, I've got, I've got nine horns, uh, three trumpets, two trombones, four saxes and a rhythm section. And it's almost like family. That, you know, and you have that camaraderie. And and don't they also, you contribute to each other's elevation of performance. Because absolutely. they know absolutely. that you're dedicated to performing as a tribute to Sinatra, so they're up for it. And you're seeing them perform and you're getting elevated by the professionalism of other musicians. Yeah, just like Sinatra, I acknowledge the musicians behind me. I acknowledge the composers, the arrangers, the lyricists, uh, all of that. I I, I just... I give actually a little more information about each song that I perform, like Best is Yet to Come, 
Cy Coleman did it on uh, Playboy After Dark uh, with uh, Hugh Hefner. And he he even told him that he wants to take it to Capitol Records and to give it to Sinatra. Not only did he give it to Sinatra, he recorded it and it's on his tombstone. I mean, that's uh, his epitaph is the best is yet to come in Palm Springs. I've been there many times. I mean, little stories that, you know, you you wonder uh, about each of the uh, each of the songs that you do, um, who the arranger was, who the band was, what was Sinatra doing at the time of his life that he sang this song. I mean, like, let me try again. Paul Anker wrote it. And that was his comeback song, you know, back in 73, back at Madison Square Garden, the main event. And, you know, so we're going to do that. And we're going to we're doing all these songs that everybody knows a couple that are not mainstream, but they're they're great songs. All I need is a girl. That was Billy May's arrangement. How about it never entered my mind? That was another one that Sinatra did. That's not mainstream. Excellent. You know, there's so many. I mean, not many people realize that Frank Sinatra recorded more songs than the Beatles and Elvis put together. It's amazing. I mean, amazing record. Yeah. I mean, you know, six, six, seven decades of of, of entertaining the world. He was, he was, he's an icon. When you talk to people about either before or after a show, when you're, even when you're not doing the specific Sinatra tribute, but if you do some of his material, do people tell you why Sinatra remains in their memories? Well, it's, it's the way his phrasing, the way he wrapped around the lyrics to the melody, he, the, 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 the sentimental value, everybody, so many people come up to me and say, Oh my God, my way that my, it was my father's favorite song and oh New York, New York and, and, and strangers in the night was our wedding song. And, and, you know, all these, you know, everybody has a sentimental Sinatra song that applies to something that happened in their lives. And I think that is that makes it a lot because it spans so much. It's not just the elderly. I get people coming in, young kids in their 20s with fedoras on and the skinny ties and and the suits. And I mean, it, it just it, it makes me feel great that the, the legacy of his his music is still going and it's not stopping. It really you, isn't. You mentioned earlier on that. And, and I agree with you. One of the key elements of being a performer is likability because of the audience doesn't like you, whether you're a comedian or a singer, you've got a long road to, to travel. Yeah. So right. do you find that you mentioned the reason Sinatra was so unique? One of the other reasons was he was able to communicate a, a song emotionally. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, well, like for example, Frank Sinatra Jr., who sounded remarkably like Frank Sinatra, but he wasn't able, to, in my opinion, wasn't able to communicate the emotional part of the songs that his father did. He was a great yes. guy, very bright, and I worked with him on some stuff, and I really liked him. But the difference between Frank Sinatra and Frank Sinatra Jr., or any other singer, was Sinatra was able to communicate in some emotional way that you can't qualify, you can't quantify the meaning of lyrics and the tone of the music. Exactly. And, and, that, and that, that's what was his gift. He could take... And this is the crazy thing, Ira, and I still... It's the $64,000 question... He couldn't read music. And I'm going to myself, wait a minute. This guy sang tens of thousands of songs. How the hell did he learn the melody line and then make it his own? How the, I mean, if he couldn't read me, was he just sitting by the piano and listening to the guy play it? He had a keen ear. That was his, that was his gift. And he just was able to pick it up. And unlike any other singer could just take that song, like you said, and make it, so emotional just the way he could sustain 
go from one phrase to the other without breaking a breath. And and he learned that from Tommy Dorsey, you know, when he learned how to breathe. And through the, also, you know, Tommy did it through the trombone, but he showed Frank how to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And he swam a lot too, Frank, underwater. So that, that helped his breathing. And that was why he could sustain a note. And I mean, just think about the, the New York, New York, real quick. When he when he says the and a n d he does it in and four four notes in one three letter word you know I mean who does that you know I mean Eliza didn't do it when she recorded that song and you know it's just that he he had that unique ability to take any given song and make it Frank's put a stamp on it if you will. And also, too, he attributed some of his phrasing to Mabel Mercer, and not just the breathing part from Tommy Dorsey, but the phrasing from Mabel Mercer. So he was very generous about acknowledging his influences in terms of making that unique Sinatra sound. Right, uh, right. And and like Dean Martin emulated the the Mills Brothers. I mean, you know, he loved that. That was his idol. Everybody has their, you know, Big Crosby was Sinatra's, you know, go to as far as that. And when he they got to work together. You know, the USO tours with uh, Bob Hope. It was a big thrill for him. Here's the yeah. difference I see between you and, and other people that are performing, especially a tribute to Sinatra, is that it's clear with your use of a live orchestra and some of the people that you've hired to be in that orchestra, your obvious dedication to the material, not just the, the selection of songs, but the, the written material that will go along with it to explain, for example, the origins of songs or the who wrote it or who who is the lyricist, who is the composer, etc. Right. But but also to it takes a lot of time to put this kind of a, of a show together because you you want to be accurate and you have to make sure that you are where you are with your approach to the songs. So that tells me that you're very careful and dedicated to this kind of presentation. I'm continually studying. You know, his life, I mean, think about it from the from the 30s to the to the, you know, 80s, so late, late uh, actually even into the early 90s. I mean, he, he passed away in 98, but, you know, he has a plethora of history that, you know, you, you can't you can't absorb it all. I mean, you have to live his life and, and be. but he he just he did it all, man. He he was radio he did television he did movies he did concerts i mean the guy and he was so generous with charities as i as a matter of fact i'd like to mention i do sell my merchandise after the show and and uh, proceeds to that always go to the wounded warriors i always give that to after the show and i give i give the proceeds of all the the, the merchandise to the wounded warrior project and i'm very proud to be a part of that for the last 10 years well, the reason, so, yeah. the, the reason that I ma made the point that I made was this, is that just like Elvis, where there's a million Elvis, or used to be a million Elvis impersonators or impressionists or tribute artists, that's right. all well and good. But then uh, just like bad currency chases out good currency, they're not all really good. But you take the time to make it a craft, a dedication to doing it right. And there's very few, yeah. there's Bob Anderson, there's you, and, and I can't think of any others that maybe that I'm not aware of, but that's the point I'm trying to make is that you're going to present a quality product. Right. I, I And I do, I take pride in it too, as, as the producer and, uh, you know, putting it all together, getting the right musicians that can swing. You've got to get that done. 
when I travel to other countries, you know, it's catcher's catch can. I, I don't know what I'm going to be up against because I don't bring the band with me when I go to Brazil or Chile or Costa Rica. I, I, I just I get what I get. But I have to say the, the band in Chile, which I'm going to in March, uh, I'm doing three concerts there. They it's a killer band. It's really good. But this band, I, I you know, I, I'm it's funny. I, I, I'm just telling you, I, I, I get part of the door to do this show. And I'm coming out of pocket to pay these guys. And even if I broke even or lost a little bit of money, I don't care. I'm just lo- I'm looking forward to seeing this orchestra. I'm just it's just going to be such a joy to sing with this quality of, of performers. And I and, and I, I know it's mutual because they wouldn't be doing this gig with me if they didn't feel it. I've got people that I'm working I, I've worked with since uh, 1990 you know, performing on stage. So, you know, I've got a 30, 30 plus year history with some of these, some of these musicians. It's great. I'm, I'm really can't wait. Last question among your songs is one going to be, I've got you under my skin. Of course. Excellent. Okay. That, that is, that is a signature. When you Nelson put, Riddle. When you put Nelson Riddle and Cole Porter and Frank Sinatra together, that is the quintessential song. You have to do that. Well, that's a good way to end it. My guest has been impressionist Rick Michael. He's paying tribute to Sinatra with his show Sinatra Forever with an all-star 12-piece orchestra Sunday, February 6th at 8 p.m. at the Italian American Club. For ticket information, go to IACVegas.com. And for everything about Rick Michael, go to Rick Michael. That is M-I-C-H-E-L, RickMichael.com. Rick, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Ira, for having me. It was a pleasure. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Happy